Hello, and welcome to episode 32 of The Modern Manager. I'm your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. I have a special announcement today because I'm teaching an online course on meetings that starts on January 8th, and I would really love to see you there. This course has three 90-minute live webinars and three live office hours, which are open Q&A sessions so we can dig into your specific challenges. Session one is on mastering the fundamentals. I'll get into things that you should absolutely be doing before, during, and after the meeting to make it super productive. Session two is on eliciting the best thinking. This is on brainstorming and decision-making meetings so that you get the best thinking in the room and come to the best conclusions. And session three is leading enjoyable and productive meetings. This is all about engagement and facilitation techniques so the people who come are engaged in rich dialogue and feel good when they walk out the door. So if you've been meaning to read my book, Momentum, or maybe you're just tired of meetings and the way that they've been done in your organization, or maybe you want to make 2019 more productive and enjoyable for yourself and your team, whatever reason you have, this is a course I know you will benefit from taking. You can register by going to my website, mamieks.com, and clicking on the registration link, and it's also in the show notes. Now, my guest today is Roble Kurse. Roble is the head of coaching at Life Labs. He's a facilitator and an executive coach. His research centers on transformative leadership experiences, behavior-based 360 tools, leadership skills under pressure, and workplace habits that drive change. Roble and I talk about feedback how to give it in ways that reduce that emotional tension, both on your side as the giver and the receiver's end, and how as a manager, you can get your team to actually give you feedback. We also get into a concept called Bowen's Triangulation, which if you've never heard of it, neither had I. Now here's my conversation with Roble. You're listening to The Modern Manager, a podcast dedicated to helping you be a rock star boss with a thriving team. Whether you're looking to upgrade your meetings, cultivate your team, or grow as a leader, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Mamie Canfer-Stewart. Robley, it is such a pleasure to have you today. I'm really excited to talk with you because you are a coach and you've worked with so many different people and organizations, and the work that you do at Life Labs Learning is just awesome and amazing. And you're going to share your wisdom with me and my listeners. This is great. Uh, Well, I'm super happy to be chatting with you. All right. Well, then let's just jump right in. So we are going to talk about difficult conversations, which is everyone's favorite subject, how to have those awkward, uncomfortable, you know, kind of conversations that you sometimes have with your manager and sometimes you have them with your colleagues and sometimes you have them with your direct reports. They happen kind of all over the place. So what are some of the different kinds of difficult conversations that people deal with in the workplace? Yeah, so I, I don't know, you could probably break it into two big buckets. You know, I think there's kind of the classic just feedback scenario when, when sometimes you have to give critical or negative feedback and that can provide a little bit of anxiety for folks. And, and then there's maybe some more significant conversations, maybe there's a conflict resolution conversation. We've already tried having feedback and it hasn't worked very well, so now we're in a different kind of scenario. Or maybe we put off having the feedback conversation and now we've got more emotions behind it. Maybe I call that a conflict conversation. Maybe two simple categories to think about it. So let's start with feedback. And, you know, no one likes to give feedback, or I shouldn't say no one. Very few people are, like, so excited to have that conversation where they can give someone feedback. I mean, at least I'll speak for myself. I do it, but it's not, you know, it's not the highlight of my day. 
So what are some of the ways that we can approach having these feedback conversations that can make them more productive, a little less scary, those kinds of things? Yeah. First, maybe I'll just validate your feelings. So I've probably talked to pretty close to 3,000 people about the topic of feedback and about 2,995 of them go into most negative feedback conversations with some amount of anxiety, right? So that's pretty typical, I think. So maybe the first step in the process here is doing something on purpose to bring down some of those negative emotions that you're feeling before you even start the conversation. And we can kind of even take just a different kind of posture with our body that can cue to other people that you're nervous, you're anxious, and then they start getting nervous and anxious right before you even started the conversation. So one of my favorite techniques is something called affect labeling. And pretty simple technique. Literally, all you have to do is just in your mind, say how you feel. I feel frustrated. I feel annoyed. I feel angry. Something like that. No, you don't want to say this out loud. Obviously, that would be a, probably creates more problems than it's worth. You can say it silently. Uh, it'll help move you from the limbic system, which is where you do that deep emotional processing in your brain. It's also a much faster reactionary portion of the brain back into the neocortex. And neocortex is where you do that logical thinking, planning, thinking through consequences, that type of thing. So take a few moments, maybe say that, maybe take some deep breaths, diaphragmatic breathing, or done yoga or meditation training. It's a really simple technique that'll start to calm us down. And then you can go into this conversation a little bit more at peace. I think it's a great way to start. Uh, the other thing I have to say is you want to take some time to actually prepare yourself for the conversation. You want to reduce the uncertainty of how the conversation is going to go. And certainty is another thing that's likely to spike that anxiety. A uh, simple way to do that at Life Labs, we, we use a, a four-step process there. And I actually I did listen to some of your earlier podcasts, and I, I have found that maybe you like process. Is that, is that true? Uh, probably an understatement of the day. Sure. <laughs> Great. So I'll, I'll give kind of a little four-step process here. Uh, again, we use at Life Labs. The first one, just getting a micro yes from people. And a micro yes is just something like, hey, is it okay if we chat about fill in the blank topic? And pull on the side, probably get into a one-on-one conversation. And the contrast here is if you don't specify the topic, I don't know if you've ever gotten a text message from a significant other uh, at some point in your life that read something like, hey, can we talk? <laughs> that spike of anxiety or emotion that comes along with it. Uh, that's just because the topic isn't specified in the micro yes. And that's a, the important step there. And then to me, the most critical component of any good feedback conversation is that you're really giving data-driven feedback. And that's the second part of the process here. Trying to literally give feedback that you can see on camera. If I can see it on camera, I can hear it on camera, it's going to be data-driven. It's not going to be open to interpretation. I say that, you know, you were treating me rudely yesterday. That's pretty blurry. I don't really know what you mean by that. It's going to make it more likely that I'm going to get uh, frustrated in response to that. Uh, and I don't know what to do differently in the future to treat you in a way that you'd like to be treated. When it zero in on the specific behavior, you were frowning at me or you didn't say hello. Once you share what the behavior is that you want, either want to see more of, which would be positive feedback, or less of, negative feedback, then we can talk about the impact of your observation. And so you know, when you did this thing, it, it had this type of impact, which could be maybe it, it upset the client, for example. Or maybe the impact of the behavior is having an impact on a product that you're working on inside of the company. And I'll let them know, in your perspective, why you think the observation you just shared with them matters, maybe why they should do something about it. And then the last part of it is just opening up the floor to hear their perspective on reality as well. I just want to ask some authentic questions on the back end to hear what they have to say. Uh, reality is, for me at least, feedback, all feedback is, is sharing your observations of reality, flawed and certainly not the whole picture. 
with somebody else and, and seeing if that's going to lead to a natural adjustment in their behavior. It's not advice, right? it's not a directive, we're not telling people what to do. Feedback conversations start with the observation. And if we do this stuff well, we keep people in the neocortex where we want them to be rational, then they can think about what they want to do as a result of hearing it. Also, maybe the feedback conversation doesn't work, then we transition to a problem-solving conversation, we transition to directives, right? We might take a different stance on it. But it starts, right? Just for sharing the observation. So four-step process, right? Micro yes, really clean data-driven observation, impact of that observation, and then opening up the floor to hear their perspective on reality. So I definitely like anything with the process. And I, I like this step and the way that you've outlined kind of how do you walk in prepared and ready to share and what is it you're going to share? Because I think it's so easy to share how I feel. Like I felt like you were doing this or I feel like that instead of talking about the facts of this is what I observed. So this is, this is so great. And I'm thinking about some feedback that I recently got that I don't want to share what it was because it's in a personal situation. It wasn't in a sure. work context, but the experience I had was really strange because the woman who gave me feedback did the exact thing that you started with, which was she reached out and said, hey, do you have a few minutes to talk? And I immediately thought like, oh my gosh, like the, the sky is falling. What happened? Because this is not a person who I speak to very often. Mm-hmm. And then when we had the conversation, my reaction was like overwhelmingly one of needing to apologize which was really strange to me, especially because I didn't actually think that what I did was so wrong. But I feel like as a listener, maybe it was the way that she delivered it. Maybe it was the fact that I wasn't prepared for that kind of conversation and I knew something was wrong, but I had projected that it was going to be so much worse that I had prepared myself for a big apology when it actually wasn't warranted. So, you know, what do you do when people are, are responding either really emotionally or kind of out of context and you're, you know, you're trying to give them appropriate feedback, but they're just all over the place in their response. Well, so if I'm the giver of the feedback, right, the, I have to sort of first just zero in on the intent of the feedback. Right? Ultimately, again, I mean, the, the first intent is just to share an observation and see how the person wants to respond with that observation. Now, we can do a lot of things in, in these types of conversations that accidentally trigger strong reactions in other people. And the strong reaction, in short, we call it an amygdala hijack. So the amygdala is part of your brain that decides where information gets processed. If it's uh, normal, typical day-to-day information, it's going to get processed in the neocortex. Now, if the amygdala perceives a threat in the environment, then it will kick the incoming data out into the limbic system where it does that deep emotional reactionary type of work. And what's tricky about this is that's kind of the hardware, if you will, of the situation. The software is kind of culturally or person-to-person What's going to trigger that kind of reaction? And the better we know somebody, the better we have an idea of what might trigger that strong reaction. But it is a person-to-person type thing. And I don't think this is maybe what happened in your situation, but probably the most common one in the workplace is it will trigger some sort of ego response. And I'm going to kind of play with this, this, this word ego here a little bit. So when we think about maybe giving feedback to somebody that has a big ego, Colloquially, what we mean by a big ego is someone who's got an expansive and rigid form of self-identity, a way that they want to perceive themselves. And sometimes we give them feedback that interferes with their ability to see themselves the way they want to see themselves. And that's very likely to trigger a strong emotional reaction. Actually, what's happening is they're reacting as if their physical life was in danger, even though it's just a psychological representation of that life. 
And we hold all sorts of interesting things in this self-identity, something that probably is worthy of some investigation. So, for example, we all know these folks. Right? Of course, none, we're not, we ourselves are not them, right? but we know we've been around these types of people. I'm the smartest person in the room. That might be part of the identity that somebody has. I have the best ideas. I'm the fastest person to solve issues in the room, uh, this type of thing. And if we give feedback that interferes with that, strong reaction. Now, there's the flip side of this as well, which is I'm the kindest, most supportive person. And I do this on a regular basis, part of who I am. Uh, all of these things, again, are likely to trigger strong reactions if get people give us evidence to the contrary. Actually, that is exactly the situation I found myself in. Um, when you're talking about wanting to be a, you know, a kind and inclusive kind of person, that was exactly what this conversation I had was about. And you're right. It totally just triggered my like, oh my goodness, how could I possibly have accidentally excluded somebody? That's like the worst thing I could possibly have ever done. When logically and rationally, I didn't exclude one person. It was not intentional and didn't happen that way. But the reaction I had, I think you're totally right, like triggered something for me that was like a very deep in my you know, personal self-concept. It's a tricky space. Maybe, maybe you'll indulge me and I'll tell a little allegory that I think kind of puts this forward pretty Please. clearly. So we'll imagine that there is this king. Right? This king is traveling across the land and he's got a whole multitude of people with him and servants and all these things. And they're setting up camp for the evening and one of his servants comes up to the king and says, listen, we, you know, you know, we've got these 20 camels, right? He's like, yes, I know, we've got 20 camels. So, well, we only brought 19 stakes to tie them to, right, put in the ground and tie them to, one of these camels is going to be just wandering around all night. What should we do? And the king says back, well, you know, these camels, they're, they're actually not that smart. All you have to do is pretend to put these stakes in the ground, pretend to tie them to this pretend stakes, and they'll stay there for the rest of the night. Don't worry about it. So servants kind of look at each other and, well, we'll, we'll, we'll give it a shot if the king says, we'll give it a shot. Uh, go out and do as he asks. Next morning, they wake up. Sure enough, the camel's still there. Then there's another problem. The servants come back to the king in the morning and say, you know, that camel that we pretend, now the camel won't move. Right now, he's just, we need to go. We need to get ready and, and move out of here, but the camel won't go anywhere. What do we do? King, as you might suspect, says, well, you have to pretend to untie the camel from the fake stake, and uh, then they'll be free to go. So they go back, try it, sure enough. Camel takes off with the rest of the convoy. And sort of what this allegory is trying to communicate, uh, at least from my perspective, is we want to be really careful about some of those fake stakes that we put into the ground for ourselves and that other people around us put into the ground as well. And those things really are not that real. I mean, we, we can be kind, but not have it be part of our self-concept, part of our identity. We can have great ideas. We sometimes may be the smartest person in the room, but when it starts to matter to us so much that it becomes part of who we believe we are, that can cause us some unnecessary pain. That was so well said. I love that story. I can't wait to use it again. <laughs> Great. So I want to shift us a little bit and talk about something that is actually totally new to me. So I'm excited that you're going to be teaching me about it along with my listeners, which is called Bowen's Triangulation. What is this? You got it. So this is another great topic that's really somewhat related to feedback. And it, it's something that I think upon hearing it, you, you immediately go, yeah, you know what? I, I, this is a word for a thing that I've seen in the past. 
So let's imagine that we, we've got some kind of workplace scenario. And let's pick some random names here. We'll, we'll say maybe we've got a Tim and maybe we've got a Carl here as well. Let's say Tim hypothetically gets some work late to Carl. And Carl is upset about this, but Carl doesn't give any feedback to Tim. Maybe Carl comes and talks to Sue. We'll say Sue's the manager in this case. Although Sue could be a peer, she could be something else. But for the hypothetical here, we'll say Sue's the manager. So Carl waits for his one-on-one with Sue at the end of the week and comes to Sue and says, God, you know, Tim is just really unreliable. And Sue, maybe she's been through one of our, our feedback workshops. So she, knows, she, she says, what do you mean by unreliable? Right? Let's, let's get some data here. And Carl says, well, you know, Tim, he, he got me this work late this week. And I feel like he does this on a regular basis. And Sue asks, again, maybe she, she's having a good day. So Sue says, well, did you give him some feedback? Like, no, I didn't give him any feedback. It's just, just how he is. I, I just don't like working with him. You know what I'm saying. Uh, and at this point, all three of these people have a problem. And one, clearly Carl and Tim have a problem. Tim got him some work late. He may or may not know that that's why Carl is treating him differently, but he can tell that Carl is treating him differently. Carl looks at Sue, who in this case is the manager, and says Sue listens to gossip about other people on her team. What has she heard about me that she hasn't shared with me yet? And gossip is a slightly strong word, right? It might raise some eyebrows, uh, but let's think about what Carl's doing. Carl's talking negatively about someone who's not present with no clear positive intent. And for me, a one-word summation for that might be gossip. Sue uh, looks at Carl. <laughs> what does Carl say about me when I'm not around? He's gossiping to me about other people. If Sue's the manager, you can kind of bet your bottom dollar that he's talking about her when she's not around. And Sue, trying to be a good manager, she's like, well, maybe I should keep an eye on Tim, make sure he's not, quote unquote, unreliable, and Tim can tell. So now all three of these people have an issue. And this is the basis for triangulation, but it's also the simplest version of this. So I'll I'll push it a little bit further. Tim, because of the pressure he's feeling from Carl and Sue, maybe he comes out and he talks to his other friends, maybe it's maybe Bob. And says, Bob, you know, Bob, I don't know what's going on with Carl and Sue, but they're just not treating me very well. I don't know what's going on. And Bob's a good friend, right? So you kind of guess what Bob might say. Well, you know, Carl, Carl's a jerk. I've never liked Carl. And, uh, you know, Sue, actually, I heard, I mean, she's Sue's great, honestly, but I heard she has personal stuff going on in her life. So, you know, I wouldn't worry about it too much. And then Bob probably comes up and talks to Pat. Oh, Pat, you know, I heard there's crazy stuff stuff going on in Sue's team, Pat, you might want to keep an eye on that. And now Pat, Sue, and Carl, and Tim, and Bob all have some pretty big problems. Again, what I mean when I say triangulation. Is this resonating at all? Maybe you're replaying the last 15 years of life with with friends and family and coworkers. Oh, yes, I definitely see this. And as a coach, I mean, this is stuff that you deal with where the person you're coaching is like, this person came to me about this thing and I didn't know if I should go back to how I should listen to them and should I go back and do something about it? Is that my job as the manager? Is that not my job? Should I have told them to do something? All right, I mean, like this is, this is happening every single moment of every single day in the workplace. Exactly. And I think a natural sort of first question in this space is if you're in the position of Sue, meaning Carl's coming and talking to you about someone who's not present, there's no clear positive intent, how should you respond to that? And, and there's kind of a waterfall approach that I would recommend. I mean, in short, we're trying to promote direct communication between Carl and Tim. Anything short of that is likely to have some sort of negative consequence. So the first question, have you had the conversation? Have you, have you had it directly and given feedback? 
no, okay, can I help you? Can I coach you to do this? Because it's likely to, it's not going to be the last time that somebody gets you work late in your career. So what can we do? I can't coach you to do this. Well, maybe if it's a different type of issue, it's a pressing issue, can I sit down and facilitate a conversation between the two of you? Can't do that. Should I wait for the behavior? I see it myself and then I give him the feedback. Can I give him the feedback and let him know that you brought it to my attention? Sort of second to worst case scenario here is that Tim gets the feedback anonymously. Right? If Tim gets the feedback anonymously, meaning Stu comes to Tim and says, well, you know, a couple of people have mentioned to me you're being fill in the blank. Now Tim knows this triangulation stuff's happening. He just doesn't know who it's happening with. And that's going to erode trust pretty quickly. Right? It's the basis for a toxic work environment. So there is a, a little equation for trust that I think maybe adds a little bit of clarity to this as well. So is Charles Green and a couple other folks came up with this equation. So they'll say that trust is equal to credibility multiplied by reliability multiplied by intimacy over self-orientation. And for folks that are listening, uh, it's pretty easy to, to look into. I'll give you my own interpretation of this. The credibility is, do you have the competence to do the things that you can do? Right? Reliability, do you do the things you say you're going to do? Intimacy, have we had self-disclosing conversations in the past? And we, have we been vulnerable with each other, talked about our own challenges? And then this is all over self-orientation. And self-orientation means, do I believe that you're here just to help yourself or do I believe that you're here to help me as well? And the self-orientation part of this trust model is the thing that's really negatively impacted by triangulation. Because Carl's not willing to pay the interpersonal cost of having the conversation with him directly. And Carl's talking negatively about someone who's not present. Going back to that ego bit we were talking about earlier, that feels quite nice, actually, on the ego. To talk about how someone else is not so good, which necessarily means I must be at least a little bit better than that person. And so it really is, is putting yourself above other people in the conversation. And it's the same reason that Bob went and talked to Pat as well. Uh, in our scenario, remember, Tim went and talked to Bob about what was going on. And then Bob went and talked to someone else about what was going on. And what Bob is effectively saying here is, oh, let me see what I can do to make myself look a little bit better. Um, maybe I'll tell you a secret, and that'll enhance our relationship between Bob and Pat and Mario. Uh, it's a secret. You know, I don't know if you need to do anything. I'm just letting you know. I heard there's some stuff going on in Stu's team. You, know, you didn't hear it from me, right? You didn't hear it from me. And the, the trick with that is it's actually not making them any closer at all, the fear-based bond. It's actually creating distance between them. It doesn't feel that way in the moment, but when you see it for what it is, uh, pretty clearly going to create more difficulties in the relationship and anything that's good. Wow, this is so complex and also so <laughs> so totally simple, right? The idea that if you have a, a problem with somebody and their behavior, if you're finding that there's something that your colleague is doing or a direct report is doing, talk with them directly, right? Like that doesn't seem that complicated, right? I mean, yes, in the most moment it is hard, which is why we just talked about those the step of how do you give appropriate feedback? How do you confront somebody whose behaviors are not working for you? But going in and talking to someone else about it clearly is not the right thing. Although I think going to your manager, this was something I've talked about in one of my previous episodes. Sometimes when we have a, a problem with a colleague, you're, that's, you can go to your manager and talk about that, but going with the frame of, I want your help to help me address this appropriately. Not I want you to solve this for me, or I'm telling you this, and I'm just gossiping, 
But I'm telling you this because I need help to figure out what I can do to fix this or to approach this person. Strongly agree. I mean, it's the positive intent piece that has to be there. And, and if it's there, that's great, right? That's all that needs to be there. Kind of an easy heuristic for me is if the other person overheard this conversation, how upset would they be? There's maybe a certain amount of being upset because other people are talking about you and trying to figure out how do they improve your scenario. Eh, okay. But if there's really no positive intent there, then those are the types of conversations that could destroy relationships if, if they're overheard. So that positive intent, it's there, it's great. And the manager should be doing what they can to, to help improve the scenario and help promote direct communication. It is simple. That's all it is, right? That's all we're really trying to say is give the feedback directly. It's a skill that is useful, not just in the workplace, but something that is useful in life at large. And that's actually really our goal at Life Labs to teach life's most useful skills. Uh, it just so happens that if that's true, it should be useful in the workplace as well. Awesome. So this might be a little bit of a twist here, but you know, one of the things that I hear from a lot of managers is that they will ask their colleagues for feedback and their direct reports or their team members basically will be like, I don't have any feedback. Oh, yeah, all, it's, it's great. You're great. Or they'll say something, they'll kind of test the waters or something, and then it just doesn't go anywhere. It's just like a big, it becomes a big mess and they never say anything again. So any thoughts or suggestions on how to get feedback from your team members, or your direct reports when you're in that manager supervisor role? Yep, absolutely. This is another one of my favorite things to talk about with feedback. What we know, and actually some of our co-founders wrote a book on surprise, that when you surprise somebody, it can spike their emotional experience up to 400%. Pretty significant. And so if somebody asks for a blanket, like, hey, have any feedback for me? I intuitively know I don't want to surprise them in a negative way, right? Surprise birthday party, usually, yay, okay, right? Uh, surprise critical feedback on a topic you weren't expecting it, not so exciting. And if we're talking about somebody that has a, a pretty big stake in, in you know, how happy you might be in the workplace, you probably don't want to surprise them in a negative way. Right? And so that's one of the big barriers to getting, in particular, upward feedback, meaning feedback that's coming from direct reports or skip level reports. So uh, a couple of tips that I picked up from, from working with other folks. You know, one is just narrowing the scope of the feedback, so letting them know, hey, I'm, I'm trying to get better in this particular area. I'm wondering if you've got any feedback for me in this space. So now I know I'm not going to be surprised with it. The other part of this is just giving people a heads up, right? So sometimes we'll ask for feedback right on the spot, especially if you're dealing with somebody that's introverted, or maybe you're, you're dealing with someone that, that's just busy and they're, they're not really paying that much attention to how you're doing in a particular area. I want to give them some time to zero in and then collect their thoughts and give the feedback. So, hey, I'm looking for your feedback in this area. I'm not asking for it now, but maybe next week uh, in our one-on-one. If you've got anything for me, I'd, I'd love to hear it. I think th those are two things that are pretty helpful. The other is maybe just establishing a routine where you're exchanging feedback on a regular basis. Actually, a, a technique that I picked up from a senior executive was he, he put in place on his sales team what he called a two-commute rule, two-commute. And I'll break it down. So, you know, basically what that means is something happens in the workplace and you're thinking about this interaction on your way back home. And then you're thinking about that same interaction on your way back into the office. That means you have to give the feedback that day, right? It's basically a 24-hour rule. I mean, something happens that you, you feel like you is, is bothering you, tell the person, right? Just give them the feedback no matter how big or how small it is. And I think that's a great norm to, to put in practice. The other one, maybe I'll give one more tip here. I picked something up from 
a pretty senior executive who he had a bit of an ego and didn't really like to ask for feedback. So what he would do is he would give people compliments and then he would ask for pro tips. And so he might say something, you know, I noticed you're pretty good at this facilitation thing, Roleplay. Now, what would be your pro tip for me specifically, right? If I was going to do something like this, what, what might you say from your expert perspective? And uh, that was a way of getting basically the same content, uh, but without even using the word feedback. And it, you might not have to use that exact phrase, but using it in a future-oriented way, what might I do better in the future rather than what have I done poorly in the past? That might be another way of getting folks to respond to that kind of question. Oh, fantastic. I love all of those tips. So as you know, this podcast is called The Modern Manager. So can you tell us about one of the managers that you've gotten to work for in the past and what made him or her so great? Oh, lovely question. Thank you for asking me here. So one that I really enjoyed was an advisor, Dr. Robert McKenna. He's an advisor while I was working on my PhD studies. He's someone that I learned a lot from. I think at the time, I had never really had a mentor in my life. And I think I reached a point in my life where I realized that there were people around me that had more expertise, more experience, had different perspective on life. And he was willing to really freely share that with me. And he gave me opportunities that I might not otherwise have had. And it really set the foundation for me to grow into the person that I am today. And I think when you've got somebody that decides they're going to be thoughtful and intentional about helping you move through life in the way that you want to, that's a really special gift. And I really appreciate what he did. Oh, beautiful. All right, Robley, this was awesome. Uh, where can people keep up with you, learn more about what you do, Life Labs Learning, all that good stuff? Yeah, super simple. Head to lifelabslearning.com. And you can see a little bit about myself. You can see a little bit about the work that we do and, and the folks that we get to do work with. It's a great company. I really enjoy being there. I helped open the San Francisco office I mean, almost three years ago. And we've gotten to work with a lot of great folks and always looking to work with more great folks. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for chatting with me today. Likewise. Thank you. Wow. I hope you found that as enlightening as I did. You can find links to Roble's information in the show notes, as well as the link to learn more about the online course that I'm leading. Just a friendly reminder, it starts January 8th, so please don't delay or miss it. In the future, if you want all of this information delivered to your inbox so you don't have to remember it, subscribe to my newsletter at mamieks.com and you'll receive my weekly emails with each episode, free mini guides, the weekly blog, and other important information like this online course. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Meetings are one of the most critical components of healthy collaboration, and teams are at the heart of how we work. Meteor helps you use your time in meetings productively, build healthy relationships with your colleagues, and move work forward. To learn how we do it, visit meteor.com. That's M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. You've been listening to The Modern Manager. You're already becoming a rock star boss of a thriving team, I can tell. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player and join the mailing list at mamieks.com slash podcast. That's M-A-M-I-E-K-S dot com slash podcast to get show notes and other special content delivered directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.